Chapter Six of Laughter Limited. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremiah Sutherland, Victoria, British Columbia. Laughter Limited by Nina Wilcox Putnam. Chapter Six. Well, I suppose it's my cue to say at first I couldn't believe it, but here's where I miss again. I believed my eyes and my memory too, right off the reel. His face was too familiar for there to be the slightest chance of a mistake. Hadn't I been talking to him about all kinds of intimate things for years? Didn't he know every secret I had and every ambition? Hadn't I been watching after his mother's things for him and asking him every so often how he'd like it done? I'll say I had. Why, I even realized that deep down in me I had known him last night when he stood in his drawing-room door, tipping the porter. And there he was, after me knowing him so well for such a long time, sitting opposite to me, a perfect stranger. I could tell from the way he looked up at me over his oatmeal that he didn't have any idea who I was. Of course that was natural, as he had never seen me except when I was a little bit of a kid. But his eyes were friendly. As a matter of fact, I guess he seemed stranger to me than I to him. Sweet daddy, it was some shock. If a person has been dreaming of floating on clouds and wakes up to a hair mattress, however good, there is a big difference. He was Milton Sherrill, all right, but more as God had made him than as I had. Well, while I sat there like a dumbbell, Milt's expression registered, nice-looking girl, but I don't know the child, and went back to the oats, because he was no chicken hunter, anybody could see that. And no fresh drummer either, but a high-class wealthy citizen, very dignified in made-to-order clothes. Hastily I looked away and wrote, one boiled egg, glass of milk, like I was sending a desperate telegram, and the waiter snatched it and read it out in a loud voice that mortified me, especially when he shouted, ain't you going to have no bread? And went away while I wondered nervously what would I do. Of course my dream had suffered, but still and all, I didn't want to lose Milt, or rather Mr. Sherrill, as his actual presence instantly made him seem. If I didn't speak soon, my opening would maybe be gone. So I decided to take a chance and said, ahem, but Mr. Sherrill only turned his newspaper and coaxed another spoonful behind it. I was desperate. Pardon me, I says at last, are you Mr. Milton Sherrill? Of all the boob questions. What the, I beg your pardon, yes I am, he answered, putting the paper down so prompt I could tell he had been taking more notice of me than I had give him credit for. I am Body McFadden, Mr. Sherrill, I says, and waited. He didn't get it. McFadden, he says, polite and smiling, but puzzled. Stony Brook, I says. Stony Brook, he repeated, a light breaking. Why, there's an old chap on my place, but... Yeah, I know, I said. That's Pop. I'm the kid. How amazing, he says, and how delightful. Well, his smile sure was pleasant, and as I looked at it, I begun to feel like a quitter. For who would take care of his mother's house now that I was gone? Gee, I hoped he'd fire Pop if Pop didn't brace up and do the right thing. I know every inch of your home, you see, I told him. I've dusted it often enough, too, anyways. You don't look at a particle, he blurted out. I say, that wasn't an awfully tactful remark, was it? But you've rather taken me off my feet. How about me, I says. I'm a little jolted by this meeting myself. Where are you going, was his next question. I told him Los Angeles, and he frowned, looking older. Are you a motion picture actress, he asked. Not yet, I said, but I will be as soon as I get there. Well, I suppose it is natural that you should want to do it, he said, but it seems a pity somehow. My stars, why, I asked, my eyes popping open. 
It would be awful if Mr. M. Sherrill turned out to be a crab. Oh, the life and what not, he says. So artificial. You are obliged to do something for a living, though, I suppose. Of course I am, I says, and I would anyhow. Well, he approved of that, for he smiled again and shot a keen, friendly look at me from under his heavy brows. One does these days, he says. I say, if you have finished, shall we go back into the observation car? I want to hear all about Stony Brook. I was disappointed at not getting a chance to run out there this trip. How did you leave your father? Rather hastily, I says, getting up and following him out. And after we had bounced down a corridor or two, we came into the observation car, which was almost empty, and took seats beside each other. Now tell me, says Milton. I took my mind off my disappointment in him for having dared to grow so much older, and told him everything, from how I had repainted the iron stags last year, to how I loved the portrait of his mother over the parlor mantel. I guess I must have spoke real enthusiastic and earnest, and he got it. His face grew younger and softer as he listened to me, putting in a question now and then, and the first thing you knew he was all sort of warmed up. I commenced to think he was pretty nice, though not the romantic style, of course, like Stricky. About an hour later, Anita came tripping into the observation car, looking for me or anybody. When she saw Mr. Sherrill and I, she gave all the signs of having found what she was after, and only very reluctantly backed off on my signal, which I had to repeat several times. But finally she did go, making a face which said stingy as plain as if she had shouted it. As for Mr. Sherrill, it just seemed as if he couldn't get enough of my description and news and so forth. But after a while he pulled out a thin gold watch and got to his feet. My dear child, do you know that we shall be in Chicago in twenty minutes, says he? What line do you go out on, the Union? That's my way, too. But we don't leave until late this afternoon. Will you let me take you to lunch somewhere? Would I? Sweet daddy, would I like to walk around with a million dollars? Why, yes, thanks, I says, with one and a half ounces of hesitation. Then I walked on air back to my section, where Anita was putting the finishing touch to her lips through her veil. Well, she says, so you flagged him first, eh? He's an old friend of Pop's, I snapped back indignantly. That one came out of the ark, remarked Anita. Hustle now, dear, we are nearly in. You can tell me all about it at lunch. No, I can't, I says. I'm, well, I'm lunching with him, and he really is what I say. And then the porter came looking for our tips and bags and things. I had dinner with him, too, that night, on the Limited, but I ducked breakfast next morning because I was ashamed of his paying all those checks. However, he come and found me at lunchtime, and asked Anita as well, and we ate it flying across the prairie, and after that I give up all resistance and let him feed me. My whole idea of America come to be Milton Sherrill cornfields and cornflakes through Illinois. Milton Sherrill roast lamb and roast beef through the sheep and cattle country, and in between mealtimes Milton Sherrill and talk about everything under the sun, pretty nearly. Isn't it a fact a train can make you acquainted quicker than almost any other place except maybe jail? On the second day out I again felt I had known him as he was all my life. Things were either right or wrong to Mr. Sherrill, and that was all there was to it. About the pictures especially. He didn't like anything about the pictures, and he didn't care for me going into them either. Look here, Miss McFadden, he says over one of our small coffees the third night out. Look here, Miss McFadden, I've only known you for a few days, but I really am a friend, and I'm going to speak accordingly. Why do you go into the moving picture game? Why not, I says, it's my ambition. Well, but look here, he says, have you any idea of the sort of thing you are going to run up against? I've got an idea I can act, and that I can sell that talent for a fair price, I says, outside of which I guess I can take care of myself. Why do you pick on the pictures so? 
Personally, I wouldn't touch them with a ten-foot pole, says he. I mean for myself, and I hope none of my interests will ever become involved in the industry. But, I says, if I get a good contract? I don't know, said he, except that the contract may not be good. Look here now. Why run amuck of that crowd? Why not forget pictures and come to San Francisco instead and work for me? Why, Mr. Sherrill, I says, and I'll say I really was as surprised as I looked. Why, Mr. Sherrill, how do you know I would be any good? Because it is my business to know people, he says, with a confident little smile, much as Stricky had recommended his own judgment. The head of a great banking concern has to be a judge of human nature, among other things, and I have seen enough of you to know that you have exceptional ability. You would need training, of course, but we can give you that, and the chance to go as far as you prove able. We sat quiet for a moment before I spoke. Oh, I couldn't, I said then. A bank? No, I'd feel shut in, smothered somehow. Thanks just the same, but I'll take my chance in the pictures. Well, I'm sorry, says he, but remember, my offer stands if you should ever change your mind. You have my address, and you can come to us at any time. The train slowed up at some tiny station high in the Sierra Mountains, and we went and got our coats and took a demi-toss of a walk out in the clean, sweet air under a cold moon, briskly up and down for ten minutes. Arm in arm we tramped, swinging along together, our feet beating out a sort of marching tune as we went. We had done this at pretty near every station where the train had stopped the whole ways across. As you may have noticed, we was still on last names. Of course I was hep to the fact that he must like me pretty well, or he wouldn't have fed me so much. But he had never stirred a finger or an eyelash that wasn't perfectly elegantly respectful. A new experience for me, that was, because usually I have to christen them with an axe about the third visit. So I was all the more surprised when what happened did. We were walking, as I said, up and down the cinders by the train, along with a few scattered other passengers who had actually stayed up after nine o'clock, and Milt hadn't said a word. The whole entire USA seemed to be spread out under the moon for us. The view was that big and grand, and conversation doesn't flourish so well at such a time and place. Up at the darkest end of the train, which happened to be right at our own car lobby, he stopped. This is the last time I shall see you, he says. I am getting off at Reno on business. I got the wire at dinner time. Oh, I says sharply, I will miss you. And then all of a sudden he kissed me, actually took me fiercely in his arms and give me a long kiss on the mouth. You are the sweetest thing I have ever met, he said, and some day I am going to tell you more about it. I was absolutely surprised. Honest. I know that there is an idea about girls that they can always tell when a thing like that is coming, but that's only the rule, and this was the exception. I felt like the King of England or the President or somebody equally unlikely had kissed me. Well, to save the situation, and before I could think of any remark, for nothing came instinctive, the brakeman yelled his warning. Mr. Sherrill swung me aboard the train with a strong sweep of his arm, and we were in the lobby. That was no good, for Anita was there with a young fellow she had made that day. And so Mr. Sherrill and I said nothing, excepting only a whispered goodbye among the evergreen curtains, and he went off to his luxurious bed while I climbed aloft and tried to sleep. I was so excited and upset for a long time while I couldn't. But when I did drop off, at last, it was Greg Strickland that I dreamed of. Ain't women the pink limit, though? And it was not until next morning, when we was rushing down through the colorful ride of California, with its wonderful orchards, the scattered gold of its poppies, and the flame of its scarlet geranium hedges, all of which Anita and me was taking in with our tongues hanging out, that I realized I hadn't given Milton Sherrill any address. What do you worry for, she says. Wire him one. But I don't know where to say, I protested. 
Give him the Laurelwood Hotel, says Anita. That's the big-time place. A hotel like that, I says, sounds away out of my class. Don't be a dumbbell, says Anita. Start out big, and they will think more of you, honey. You take it from me and go to the best place. Take a suite. Put on a lot of dog, and the difference will show in the contract they give you. What do you think actorines wear big diamonds for, anyways? For pleasure, says I meekly. For business, says Anita firmly. And somehow Anita's judgment won out. After all, my contract would call for not less than $75 a week. And so next morning at the Los Angeles depot, when the boy took my bags and says, Where to? I says, The Laurelwood Hotel, and stepped gaily into his taxicab. End of chapter 6